The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little. Hello, hello everyone. I'm Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network, and I am very excited to share with you our series, Faith and Money, Making the Connection. How would you describe your relationship to money? We all have one, don't we? Do you love money? Do you hate it? Perhaps even both. How much money do you make? Does anybody else know that number? Have I already made you uncomfortable? Most of us would rather talk about politics or death or anything except for money. It's a taboo subject, right? Well, today and throughout this series, we're going to deliberately break that taboo. Now, our goal isn't to make you uncomfortable, just the opposite. Talking about money, being aware of how we relate to money, can help free us from the many money traps we find and create in our lives. But our topic isn't just money, it's faith in money. In this series, we're going to explore several aspects of money within the grounding of our faith. For it's here in this connection between our faith and our money that we discover how we can live closer to God and to God's people, even in a culture so deeply defined by money. Money has such a pervasive role in our lives as North Americans. Where we live and how we spend our time, how we earn a living, where our children go to school. All the commercials that bombard us with pressures to spend and messages that we are somehow not enough if we don't own this or look like that. How do we resist those pressures? How do we make life's choices grounded in our faith rather than our fear? Our relationship to money and material possessions helps to define who we are, what we value, how we live, and even what we believe. Yet, we often go about life not connecting the material with the spiritual. That disconnect can leave us feeling trapped in our money choices and separates us from God and God's community. At Faith and Money Network, our mission is to equip people to explore the many aspects of their relationship with money within the grounding of their faith. How can we make the connection between our faith and our money? Well, it starts with understanding our own relationship to money. What is your relationship to money? How does money, having it or not having it, affect your self-esteem? How much time do you spend earning the money to pay for your home and possessions, shopping for them, maintaining them, and protecting them? How does having more or less money than someone else impact your relationship with that person? Do you give money away? If so, do you enjoy giving it or do you give out of a sense of guilt? How does your faith shape your financial choices? Does God even care about that? Such questions can help us understand our relationship to money. I want to introduce you to two people today who have been asking themselves questions like these for a long time. Their journeys, satisfactions, and struggles illustrate how making the connection between money and faith can move us toward an authentic, faithful life. In addition, we will introduce you to a powerful tool that you can use to better understand your relationship to money, a tool we call the Money Autobiography. Our first guest today is Betsy Edmonds. Betsy is author of the upcoming book, From Generation to Generation, about the process of passing wealth from one generation to the next, 
so that the wealth is a blessing rather than a curse. Her healthy perspectives on money, her generosity and hospitality have long made her a valuable Faith and Money Network board member. Welcome, Betsy. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Tell us, yeah, talk to us about why it's important to you to make the connection with your money and your faith. Well, I really believe that every decision that we make in life is intimately connected with money. Uh, Whether you move, where you go to school, all of that has to do with spending money. In my faith, really impinges on those values that um, we we have been taught for generations about love and compassion. So uh, it's to me it's uh, right there uh, on the nose, uh, connecting my money with my faith. When Betsy, when did you? Um, can you remember when you first began understanding money as a spiritual value? Well, it was many years ago in Baptist Sunday School, where we all sat around in a circle, and we put our dime that our parents gave us to put in the in the offering plate. Hmm. And I believe that was a very precious learning experience for us to know that this is something that we do. Uh, as participating in life uh, and as, as a Christian. Hmm. So you, you, are, you learned that early on in life? Very much so. Hmm. How uh, have you more deeply experienced life just through, through your giving? Uh, well, there are s- several ways that uh, I have... Uh, we have tried to be kind of creative about this. Uh, one of the uh, most recent things that we've done is to, in our, in our greater family, uh, sponsor a school for girls in Afghanistan. And uh, this was the beginning of our relationship with the Sunshine School in northwest Afghanistan. And uh, we're just delighted that we're raising a whole generation of girls and boys to... Uh, understand, well, to be literate and to understand what the world is about. Wow. That's amazing. You know, several, uh, even before I was married, I I wanted to see how I could get creative with money, so I bought a life insurance policy and made the uh, beneficiary uh, our uh, housing for the poor. So, uh, that was exciting, and, and I did that all of my single life. Wow. I remember you telling me a, a, a creative story about trying to pass along your giving spirit to your niece and nephew. Do you mind telling that? That was, that was fun. We, uh, we got uh, World Vision catalogs, and we sent them $100 apiece and said that they could uh, give however much they wanted to to a selected uh, entry in the catalog and then spend the rest of the money on themselves. But the only report they had to give back to us was which one they selected. And it was so exciting to hear them pick out, one picked out animals and another picked out child rescue. So uh, it was fascinating to see them being exposed through the catalog to tremendous needs throughout the world. Mm. That, that's creative, and I'm guessing that they have not forgotten that and have used the, that lesson throughout their life. That's, that's amazing. Betsy, you shared with me before that um, an investment uh, of an inheritance from your father didn't end well, to, to say the least, and wondering if you'd be willing to share that story with us today because we know that there's joy in giving, but there's also some struggles with it. Well, this was uh, several years ago, about 10 years ago. Uh, we had gone together with others to buy a small uh, company that had a wonderful product. And uh, the, the downside was that the banks did not want to uh, lend any money to a company that didn't have a whole lot of uh, 
money rolling in, uh, and we were very new, so I decided that I could lend from my inheritance, which I did over several years. Unfortunately, uh, through a kind of a miscalculation, uh, the company had to go bankrupt, and um, that was that was not the happiest day in our lives. Mm. But uh, and we were uh, I I personally was on the end of a lot of. Uh, people lined up to get the proceeds from the company, and uh, it was um, it was a big transition for us because we had really thought it was going to be very successful, and it was not. Hmm. I think it's remarkable that you seem so unattached to that money and the outcome. I'm I know it wasn't easy, but you don't sound bitter at all. How how did you handle that loss and? Where does your acceptance of that loss come from? Well, uh, for one thing, you just know it's not coming back. Uh, And uh, it did some good while it was in circulation. Um, My parents had entrusted uh, the money to me with the um, sure understanding that I would deal with it wisely, and I tried to do that. But... uh, it was just a technicality, through a technicality, that we lost it. But the uh, sad thing was that one of the fun things at Christmas was when my father came with the envelopes for the stocks that was the icing on the cake at Christmas time. So I do have a little nostalgia about that. Mm. But it's not as if I had lost a member of my family or a leg or something like that. Uh, it was it was money and uh I tried to do uh, with it as best we could. Wow. That's amazing. Betsy, do you have any um, commitments or practices that you might be able to share um, that help you kind of not get sucked into this culture of affluence? I just know that uh, the companies of America are trying to sell me stuff. Um, I do not feel that I need to wear the uh, chicest clothes. I buy classic clothes. I uh, drive a car that is now valued by people, and about almost every week someone wants to come up and buy my car uh, because it's becoming an antique. And um, so there are things that we do that um, we just do not stay in the uh, current uh, limelight uh, that the companies of America wants us to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's oh, yeah. A, a, an amazing relationship you have, I know, with your husband, the two of you together making those decisions. Betsy, right. we're going to take a break uh, and uh, we'll be back in a moment and continue our conversation, folks, with Betsy Edmonds. Um, this is Faith and Money, Making the Connection and I'm Mike Little, and we'll be back right after this break, so stay with us. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Well, we're back, and uh, I'm again Mike Little, and we're talking with Betsy Edmonds. Betsy is the author of the upcoming book, From Generation to Generation, about the process of passing wealth from one generation to the next so that the wealth is a blessing rather than a curse. Uh, Betsy, not to give away too much with your book coming out later this year, but can you give us an example of what a person can uh, do to pass on their wealth so that it can be a blessing? Um, I really believe, in, uh, from my reading and my research, that you start early with children, and you set, set money examples for them, uh, and um, you give them a world vision as opposed to a very insular vision that uh, encloses lifestyles and uh, education at a very um, uh, high level and with no exposure to the needs of the world. Um, I just feel that it's so important to start those values early and then uh, toward the end of one's life, you, you need to take the necessary measures, sign the necessary papers, and really review your values as to how the money uh, gets passed on. And uh, this is done, should be done in the context of the family so that there are no surprises uh, when the final will is read. And uh, hopefully that uh, the wonderful values that the family has will be reflected in the final decisions that are made uh, toward the end of one's life. Hmm. What conversations do you think families can have that could help them with this kind of giving and receiving of money? If, uh, if um, one has an inheritance, that's a, a quick way to get money. Uh, that should be talked about within the family. And when uh, the blessings of the money are going to go out, they should not all go to the family. That is one of the things that I've really learned from my research, that uh, the family should be provided for, but uh, the windows of the needs of the world should be open to the family, and they should understand that uh, the money can really make an impact, uh, especially toward uh, the people uh, with the greatest need. Hmm. And I'm guessing you would encourage people to uh, make a will? Oh, yes. And then there are other papers that, uh, final papers that need to be signed and uh, leave instructions uh, to uh, your executor as to how certain things should be done so that um, your, uh, your wishes are being carried out within the family circle and avoid family fights. Yes, yes. Betsy, I'm really grateful for you taking this time with us, and I want to wish you good luck on your book, and you. uh, all the best in this new year. Thank you for, for talking with us. My pleasure. Clearly, connecting her money to her faith has made a difference in Betsy's life. Many of us, I think, could have used the loss of the inheritance to thrash ourselves for years, Instead of focusing on the loss, though, Betsy has chosen to focus on all that she has. Instead of clinging to a sense of scarcity, Betsy has chosen to see the world from a sense of enough. But that can be really difficult, can it? Sometimes it seems we honestly can never make enough money. We work hard to have a home that provides what we want to offer our families. Our children need a good ed- education. We want to fit in with our friends, which can mean dressing and entertaining and traveling in a certain way. We want to be able to take care of our parents as they age and save enough for our own retirement and health care. The list seems endless and the prices only go up. We just don't 
have quite enough for all of that. We just need a little bit more. A little bit more. That's how much most people say they need in order to feel financially secure. No matter how much we have, most of us think we need just a little bit more. This perception of scarcity, of never quite having enough, drives us to spend just a little bit more. Another dinner out, a new jacket, an updated kitchen, which in turn, of course, means we have to earn just a little bit more, can be a trap. It drives us to hoard resources for ever darker potential emergencies. Has your mind ever caught you in that cycle that says, we can't give any more away this year? What if the car dies? What if the car dies and the roof has to be replaced on the house? What if the car dies, the roof has to be replaced, and our daughter's tuition jumps 20%? What if, what if? There I go again, making you uncomfortable. I'm not trying to increase your anxiety. Just recognize, recognize it and share that you have uh, experiencing that the same with all of us. The good news is that we don't have to stay in that state of anxiety. By connecting our money with our faith, we can cultivate that perspective of enough. With it comes a sense of satisfaction that we, what we have, which frees our time and energy to do our best work in the world and have more fun along the way. With a sense of enough, we can relax and make money choices based on what will genuinely improve our lives and the lives of others. With a sense of enough, we can live with a lighter environmental footprint. With a sense of enough, we can see our connections to other people. With a sense of enough, we can live closer to God. Everything we do here at Faith and Money Network is ultimately to help people move from a mentality of scarcity to one of abundance, from limited solidarity with others to a more total solidarity, and from general desires to specific actions. For more than 30 years, we've been a dependable companion to people on this faith and money adventure. Through 30 years of shifting cultural perceptions of money, Faith and Money Network has consistently delivered our message. God's economy is one of abundance. God's community lives in solidarity, and we can live in ways that bring us closer to God as members of God's community. I want to describe our purpose again. Our journey around faith and money is to move from a mentality of scarcity to one of abundance, from limited to total solidarity, and from general desires to specific actions. Now, we've already talked about cultivating an abundance mentality, a sense of enough. But what do I mean by moving from a limited to total solidarity with others? Simply this, to see everyone no matter where or how they live, as our neighbor, everyone as a beloved child of God. Through our work at Faith and Money Network, we see people move from, I love my family, to now my family's bigger. This only happens when we've, you've met somebody that broke your heart. For example, we have taken groups to Haiti, where we see the results of U.S. agricultural policies on people who can no longer grow their own food and are literally hungry. Those people aren't just nameless faces on the news anymore, but real people who tell jokes and love their children and fed dinner to our group, even if it meant they didn't get to eat the next day. Now, you don't have to travel to begin to truly see your neighbor. It could be in the grocery aisle or in traffic, at the PTA meeting or at church. Anywhere you have a flash of compassion for someone else, recognizing that they are valuable to God and to the world, even if you can't personally see it. Solidarity is, I believe, what Jesus meant by love your neighbor as yourself. Now, once again, because it's vital, our journey around faith and money is to move from a mentality of scarcity to one of abundance, from limited to total solidarity, and from general desires to specific actions. Now, this last one is tough. If you thought cultivating a sense of abundance is a challenge and total solidarity is nearly superhuman, you haven't seen anything until you've seen how difficult it can be to move 
from general desires to specific actions. We can get so stuck in our ways of doing things. To keep from having to do the hard work of unsticking ourselves, we tend to study and think and wait until the perfect moment to try something new. There is no need for a perfect time because no one is looking for perfection here, right? We don't need perfection. We just need steps towards wholeness. Resist the temptation to over-intellectualize what is really quite simple. Now that you have begun to see the connection between money and faith, do something about it. Each segment of this series will feature action steps, things you can do to continue to explore the connection between faith and money in practice, in some choice you make. We will offer some possibilities for everyone on the journey, whether you are just setting out or have been thinking about faith and money for decades. We are, it's time for uh, another break, and uh, we're going to be back to introduce you to uh, our second guest, Frank Butler, and I'm excited for you to uh, hear his story as well. Stay with us. This is Mike Little at Faith and Money Network, Making the Connection. to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Ready for a unique two-show-in-one package? Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning, as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Hey, this is Mike Little of Faith and Money, Making the Connection, and glad you're joining us. And I want to introduce you to another person who has been on this journey of connecting faith and money for decades. Frank Butler. Frank has worked in a range of business roles that have culminated with the presidency of Eastman Gelatin Company, a 300-employee, $60 million corporation. His business success never swayed him from Jesus' teaching about material goods and servanthood, and he and his wife, Ruth, have lived lives of material simplicity and generosity of time and money. Frank is a longtime board member of Faith and Money Network. Welcome, Frank. It's pleasure to be tied in with you, Mike. Yeah. Hey, Frank, share with us when uh, you began connecting faith and money. Well, it started for me uh, back, as Betsy said, it's important to start with children. And it started with me, uh, my mother and dad, uh, from the very first moment that we had any uh, allowance or had earned money. Uh, my mother, who was very devout, uh, insisted that we tithe, 10% given to the church. My dad, who was a businessman, electrical engineer, and uh, he said, 
Frank, you give away the first 10% of all you earn. You save the second 10%, and that's a crucial part, as I was listening to the earlier part of this conversation about uh, how much is enough. Uh, if, if, you, if you save uh, 10%, then you live on the balance, and so 80% of whatever you're earning was always enough in, in my dad's life. Even when he lost his job just before World War II, uh, we just scaled back our living, and there, you know, there was no, there wasn't really any sense of loss connected with that. Hmm. And like- just building on a couple things you and Betsy said when you were talking about your three steps and the solidarity with others and abundance versus scarcity, it reminded me of Clarence Jordan, who founded Koinonia. And that gave birth, uh, through their Fund of Humanity, gave birth to Millard and the Habitat for Humanity. Clarence said, God has created a world of abundance. It's the distribution system that's screwed up. And you and I are the distribution system. So that puts it squarely on us. It sure does. It sure does. Frank, I'm um, wondering the choices that you and Ruth decided to make as a as a couple and as you um started having a family uh and your role as a as you've moved up as a ceo of a large company how did your um choices of simplicity and of of giving uh affect both your your uh around the boardroom and how did your um children handle that Oh boy, that's that's a broad question you're asking. Uh, I guess uh, first is is the foundation. Mother not only uh, thought uh, a spiritual discipline of of giving, but daily devotion was uh, probably the the number one discipline, with giving being the second. And um, it, I remember. From the moment I could, Mother used to read to us every night before we went to bed uh, novels and uh, uh, good good devotionals and from the Bible. And um, so she, from first grade when I could start to word, Mother furnished me with, with devotional material. And I read it steadily, not particularly because I thought I was getting anything out of it, but because I loved my mother. And I can remember uh, when I was a junior in high school and was trying to think about what I would do after I graduated, and I was wondering how I would ever uh, get a job that would earn enough money so that I could buy that little Cape Cod house with a white fence around it and marry a beautiful woman like my wife Ruth and raise kids. And the devotion for, for that night was from Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verses 25 through 34, about take no thought for the morrow, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. And there was a glow in the room. There was a presence, a real presence of Christ in my bedroom that night. And that uh, that was so powerful that it put temporarily, at least, the question about worrying about money out of, out of my mind. Uh, but one of the things I've learned is that uh, there are very few things that are are solved uh, forever. This is kind of a stepping stone. And I, on through my life, as you say, whether it was at work, in the boardroom, or wherever, I had to confront those issues again. I don't know if I'm responding to your question, Mike. Sure, sure. And I want to pick up on something you said, too, about um, the disciplines that your mother has taught had taught you. And um, what you've kept, uh, you've kept that going, I know, um, I remember you sharing with me once that you actually one one of uh, a discipline you and Ruth had was to share your taxes with other couples. Now that sounds really countercultural. Tell us how that came about and why did you do that? <laughs> um, well, as as you said at your introduction, uh, uh, do, how much do you make? Do you share it with others? The, and talking frees us up. Um, that uh, there, I don't know, in national news, Dr. Timothy Johnson, 
who is a medical doctor uh, for, I'm not sure, it's our Channel 5 here, I, I, I guess it's maybe ABC, but anyway, uh, he's also an ordained covenant minister, and i uh, reading uh, some of his, he lives here, lived here in Topsfield with a, right near us, and he, uh, in one of his writings, mentioned uh, about how uh he didn't want to be critical of someone who drove a Cadillac as long as his uh, giving was at the Cadillac level also. And so Ruth and I talked with Tim and his wife and uh, another couple we knew who was active in Young Life and was president of a nearby college. And all, all three couples of us were professing Christians and we said, how does that, you know, there's that saying, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And so we said, let's get together. Oh, and somebody said, one way to do would be to look at your checkbook and your tax return. So we said, why don't we get together and share our tax returns and see what we can learn from each other about how we spend our money? And would there be enough evidence to convict us as Christians? So that's how that kind of got started. Uh, I see. Did you have very many takers? To Pardon? join your group? Did you have very many couples join your group? Well, that was just the six of us. We Then we, Ruth and I, were part of several other uh, small groups, which uh, we we continued to share openly with uh, our money choices, our children's choices, and those kinds of things. Yes. That's great. Now, let's talk a minute. I know you've spent your life in the church, and uh, we know that Jesus spoke more about money than just about anything but the kingdom of God. Right. I'm, curious, I'm curious from your experience why you think it seems to be the last thing we'll talk about in church. Uh, why is it so taboo in, our, in the pews? Well, I'm, I'm not sure other than that it, uh, Jesus did talk more about it than anything other than the kingdom because I think it's the most seductive uh, idol false idol that we can worship. Uh, And it, especially in this materialistic society and culture in which we live, and I think probably it's uh, a question of guilt. Uh, I've never worried too much or thought, try to think too deeply about why it is that way. It's just that it is and that it was important that we try to deal with it. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you uh, hope your grandkids will say about you? What uh, life's legacy? I'm going to make you talk about yourself. Well, uh, I guess I guess um, I really don't think too much about that either. I remember one time when I was still working and was uh, uh, president of, of Ace Mangel, and we were the largest. Uh, taxpayer in town, the largest employer, etc. And so the newspapers always had an interest in what was going on at Eastman Jail and what we believed. And uh, when I went, uh, did my first pilgrimage and reverse mission and came back, the, the papers wanted to know uh, what I was doing and what I felt about that. And then uh, the group reporter who interviewed me asked me during the interview, uh, does your Christian faith, uh, Im- how does your Christian faith impact how you run Eastman Jail? Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that, but I said, I really think what you need to do, uh, I hope it has a, a very positive impact on how I treat people and uh, what we stand for as a company. But I said, you need to ask the employees in the plant how they feel about that because that's that's where the rubber hits the road for that. So um, I I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about how my children will respond. Uh, I know um, it's important to me that they know they're loved, uh, even though uh, our our spending priorities were different than almost all of our neighbors, and the the this may seem uh, out of context a little bit, but our son Peter, our only son and firstborn, died of cancer after a ten year struggle. Mm, wow! And I, when I'd visit him in the hospital, I'd usually say when I left, "Well, I love you, Pete," 
And one, one day, it was near the end, and I, I said, know that you are loved. Yes. And he said, Dad, that would be very hard to miss. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, I just want them to know they're loved. Yeah, that's right. Because I think that's, that's right. one of the, the basic problems we as Christians have is believing that God truly loves us. And this, you know, this is epiphany today. And um, it, uh, as you think about uh, uh, Jesus' baptism with John and other things, when he came up out of the water and said, you are my beloved, uh, I think, well, my own, per- all I can say is about myself, I often have trouble really deeply believing that I am God's beloved. Well, Frank, your consistency throughout your life has been so inspiring. Um, I so appreciate you taking this time and your vulnerability with us. It's obvious you've done a lot of spiritual work. Uh, You seem to have a clear understanding of the role your family played in your relationship to money, and you've passed that on to your family and to those of us that have known you for, for many years. And um, you've taken, seems like, one action step after the other, continuing to grow as a faithful steward in your, both your business skills and your personal resources. And I can't thank you enough for, for sharing with us. And uh, one, one uh, Judy Osgood, who, uh, in response to a question you put out there once, said, giving is my favorite spiritual discipline because it enriches me as I share and helps me grow in my faith. And I think that's as nice a little definition of what we're talking about as there is. I'm glad you suggested that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. Thank hey, you, folks. Mike. Yeah, we're going to take a, a break and uh, come back. I'm going to uh, introduce you to the Money Autobiography. It's a great tool for making this connection with our money and our faith. It's a great way to begin uh, this process. And it's a great tool even if you've uh, been on the journey for a while. Stick with us. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. It's time to empower our kids so they can make the best decisions now and later in life. Listen for I Am For Kids Radio with host Mark Papadis. Mark is the founder of the I Am For Kids Foundation, which is a recognized 501c3 charity committed to revolutionizing elementary education in the U.S. Our show helps kids, teachers, and parents to realize the power of identity and help each of us decide who we are and our place in the world. I Am For Kids Radio is heard live Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further, with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit. You'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Hey, welcome back to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm Mike Little, and today we're talking about our relationship with money. And as I promised earlier, um, in each of the segments of our series here, we will be outlining some action steps we can take to better connect our money and our faith. 
in future segments, we will offer several action steps for people who are at different places on this road. Today, however, we only have one action step on the agenda, only one because it's so fundamental to deepening your connection of faith and money. That's the money autobiography. A money autobiography is exactly what it sounds like. You tell the story of your own life and history as it relates to your money, reflected in the light of your faith. We've talked a lot today about how important it is to understand our own relationship to money and how that shapes our money habits. The money autobiography is the best uh, time you can spend to understand that relationship. A money autobiography is a reflection process on the role and influence of money and material possessions in our lives. It challenges us to explore the past, to see our attitudes, assumptions, and values were formed concerning money and wealth. The money autobiography provides a lens through which we examine how we manage money and how money manages us. It allows the opportunity to wrestle with our needs, wants, and desires, and helps us understand the lifestyle choices we make. It can even help us set some priorities and goals for the future. The Money Autobiography is available on our website. It's a free download at faithandmoneynetwork.org. And it consists of questions, prompts to guide your thinking, help kind of open your awareness and encourage you to go deeper than the superficial. For example, the first questions are, describe the role of money in your childhood. What is your happiest memory in connection with money? What is your unhappiest childhood memory? As we heard from our guests today, our parents' attitudes toward money and what we perceived as children can exert a great deal of influence over our adult emotions around money. Yet we seldom think consciously about how money affected us before we were earning it for ourselves. Other questions include the following. How do you feel about your present financial status? Are you generous or stingy with your money? How does having or not having money affect your self-esteem? There are questions to help think about money frames our relationship with other people in some bigger picture issues, like the ethics of how we make our money. Now, this isn't school. There are no right answers here. You just tell your story the best you can, based on the prompts that we provide. If you don't like to write, just put your own thoughts in brief notes or an outline. It doesn't matter what form it takes. It's not an essay that will be graded or published. Don't worry about that. It's just a way to spur and help clarify your thinking and yield some insights into why you do what you do around money. To get the most out of this process, please spend some time with it. Sit with it. Try to think below your first response. So often while our first thought is valuable, there may be deeper emotions that can offer a crucial insight. Given some extra time in reflection, you may remember some experience you haven't thought about in a long time, one that tells you a lot about why you handle money in a particular way. Once you've done this exercise, the next challenge would be to share it with someone you trust. Somehow, sharing these ideas opens the door on this money and faith conversation much wider. If the thought of sharing what you have written is horrifying, feel free to send it to me at mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. I will read it, unless you don't want me to. I'll pray for you and celebrate that you have begun the adventure of integrating your faith and your money. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to actually write your money autobiography. In 30 years of doing this work, Faith and Money Network has found no better tool for opening the conversation in a personal way about the interconnections between our faith and our money. Again, you can download it for free on our website. No doubt you've heard this illustration 
one that is pulled out often, well, because it's so useful. Two young fish are swimming along and meet an older fish swimming the other way. The older fish nods at them and says, Good morning. How's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit. Eventually, one of them looks over at the other and asks, What is water? I would contend that water in our culture in this time is money. We're swimming in a culture driven by money. We're drowning in the demands of always earning more and consuming more. But it's so pervasive that we barely even see how money claims so many aspects of our lives. We may recognize that it matters how we earn, spend, invest, and give our money, but we seldom see genuine alternatives. If I no longer want to follow the culture of greed, how do I imagine another way? The good news is that you don't have to do it by yourself. We can, together, move from a mentality of scarcity to one of abundance, from partial to total solidarity, and from general desires to specific actions. So many wise and wonderful people who are making the connection between their faith and their money will be our guests in subsequent programs. In the next segment, activist and theologian Ched Myers will share how thoroughly lessons about money are woven throughout the Bible. Through both the Old and New Testament, God's people have been shown how to live together economically, so we, on our own, don't have to imagine another way. The biblical foundations provide solid footing for more topical discussions to follow on other segments of our program. Other discussions will include slowing our lives down from the frenzy of producing and consuming. We will talk about being thoughtful consumers, knowing that how we live affects other people and the planet. We will talk about some of the traps we find ourselves in around money and how people who are poor are not the only ones in need of liberation from the prison of our obsession with it. Joyous philanthropists will share their experiences and ideas, perhaps sparking ideas of how we can give more in your life. We'll discuss how money can affect our relationships and how we can strengthen our families by dealing constructively and faithfully with money issues, and so much more. Please join us next Monday at noon for the next 12 Mondays as we continue exploring our faith and our money, making the connection. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page and download the Money Autobiography from our website, faithandmoneynetwork.org. Thank you for spending this time with us. You have now become part of the Faith and Money Network, joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity and of action, grounded in love. Blessings on the journey and have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week on Faith and Money, Making the Connection. Please tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, for another edition with your host, Mike Little, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.